0: book nine chapter four of round the block by john bell Buton. The sleeper recording is in the public domain light in the prison on the return of the prisoner and friends to the station house marcus was gratified to find a number of old business acquaintances waiting for him in the anteroom they were men whom he had known in his wall street epoch and had always set down as good enough friends in prosperity but cold-shouldered creatures in an hour of trial. He was mistaken, as many men are mistaken, in judging the hearts of businessmen from their white and careworn faces. They came with warm hands, sympathetic words, and offers of bail-money and other aid if wanted. There were short notes from two or three other old fellows, whom he had not seen for years, telling him that they were at his command. These expressions of goodwill touched Marcus to the heart. He learned that, in the self-conceit of his retired and studious life, he had done injustice to these citizens of the whirling world. With a thousand thanks for the kindness of his callers, he told them that their friendly services were not needed, that his innocence would surely be made to appear, and that to the day of his death he should never forget them. Upon this assurance repeated two or three times, his business friends withdrew with characteristic business impetuosity, wishing him a speedy release from his disagreeable position, which is the roundabout phrase for prison. A policeman who had charge of this station house during the absence of his superior officer here informed Marcus that an old lady and a young one, an old gentleman and a lad, had called the old gentleman and the lad would drop round again during the evening the old lady and the young one were waiting for him in the captain's room he entered the captain's room his companions staying outside and saw as he expected his half-sister Philomela and a young woman dressed in the height of cheap fashion who was no other than mash the cook his sister rose and extended her hand to him severely and said with a solemn voice brother marcus i am sorry to see you here i hope you are not guilty of this crime hope said marcus stung to the quick why not say at once that i am guilty it is strange that the only relative i have on earth should be the first to doubt my innocence oh no marcus you do me an injustice there I do not for a moment doubt your innocence, but you know I always advised you to give up your moping habits at home and go into active business like other men of your age. If you had been in business now, you wouldn't have had time to get mixed up in the affairs of this old man Minford and his daughter, and would have escaped this disgrace. I trust, Marcus, she added emphatically, I trust this will be a lesson to you poor mash the cook had been playing with her bonnet strings and trying to check her tears but the unnatural effort was too much for her and she burst out crying oh mr wilkeson she said between her sobs i-i'm so sorry to see you here but-but i-i know you're innocent boo-boo-hoo Thank you," Mash replied. Marcus, quite affected at this sudden outbreak of sympathy, "You speak like a true woman, but don't cry any more, my good girl. I shall be released tomorrow." Marcus said this confidently, though he had not the least idea how his acquittal was to be obtained. "Oh, I hope so. I hope so, Mister Wilkeson." "Boo, boo, hoo." "I, I wish I could." go to prison in your place boo boo hoo mash had derived this preposterous idea of vicarious imprisonment from the story of the buttery and the boudoir which was now drawing near its conclusion and gradually killing or marrying off its heroes and heroines marcus could not help smiling at the romantic notion Miss Philomela laughed sarcastically and exclaimed, You must take pattern from me, girl, and control your feelings. My brother doesn't want crying women about him at this time. Don't be too sure of that, sister. Tears come naturally from a woman. They are her best evidence of sympathy and therefore precious to one who needs it. MASH, the cook, gave vent to a fresh shower of tears at this encouraging remark and made Miss Philomela shrug her shoulders in disgust. "'Oh, don't be silly, MASH,' said Miss Philomela, losing all patience with the cook. "I, I, boo-boo-hoo. Can't help it, marm!' "'Nonsense,' said the superior female. "'As for you, Marcus,' You should not encourage such folly when you have troubles that demand our sober and earnest attention. With reference to the past, I might say a great many things, but I forbear. To be serious now, for once in your life, what can I do for you? Will you do what I ask faithfully? asked Marcus. Yes, faithfully, I promise. Then, my sister be so good as to go home immediately and send me a spare shirt and a change of clothes. MASH can bring them, and lest another interview should prove too severe a trial for your female sensibility, I beg that you will not come here again. If I want you very much, I can send for you. You are very unkind, very unkind, but I will not make any remarks. "'You know that nothing would give me greater pleasure than to serve my brother. "'For though you have faults, "'I suppose you will not deny that you have some little faults. "'You are still my brother.' "'Marcus smiled and thought how foolish it was to quarrel "'with the whimsical but not bad-hearted woman. "'Well, Sister Philomela, "'you can see for yourself that I am not ill-used here. "'Comfortable bed?' Rousing fire and warm meals from the restaurant round the corner. The lieutenant, footnote, called sergeant of police under the recent Metropolitan Act, end of footnote, who is in command of this station house, turns out to be an old friend of my boyhood and treats me more like a guest than a prisoner. And I must say that, but for the idea of a prison, i could live as pleasantly here as at home even you can do nothing to lighten my captivity but i promise that if i am held by this coroner's jury which of course i shall not be and am sent to the tombs then i will tax your sisterly affection to the utmost at the mention of that dreadful place the tombs mash broke into sobs again the touching experiences of gerald florville in that house of despair as set forth in the buttery and the boudoir were poignantly brought to her mind miss philomela looked serious as the tombs loomed up in her mind and she would have said something condoling but for the irritating conduct of the cook who annoyed her so much that she decided to leave she abruptly shook hands with her half-brother it is very easy said she to point out how certain mistakes might have been avoided but let the past go if you are not acquitted to-morrow i shall call here again notwithstanding you don't seem very desirous to see me now good-bye come hurry up Mash. Marcus shook hands with his half-sister, and also with Mash, who wept afresh. In the ante-room Miss Philomela saw Overtop and Malthboy, upon whom she bestowed a half-smile, and Tiffles, whom she treated to a cordial grimace, not unmingled with a blush. Tiffles, on his part, was profoundly polite, and inquired if she were going home. Learning that she was... He remarked that he had occasion to walk in the same direction, and accompanied her as she left the station-house. MASH followed at a short distance behind, not because she did not think herself fully as good as Miss Philomela but because she wished to indulge unchecked in the mild luxury of tears. A new visitor was now announced. He was a curly-headed, neatly-dressed boy of nineteen years. His face was one that is handsomer in promise than in fact. Marcus recognized him as the boy Bog, whom he had not seen for several weeks. The boy had developed a remarkable talent for making money honestly. For two months he had attended a night school, and was fast correcting his awkward English, and attaining to other knowledge prosperity and schooling together had given him quite a polish. The rough boy was coming to be a presentable youth. He advanced timidly toward Marcus, who shook hands with him. He sat down before the fire, and commenced fumbling his cap in the old way. With the exception of that trick and his shyness, there was little of the original boy bog about him. Mr. Wilkeson said he giving his cap a twirl, I am very sorry to see you here because, I may say, I know you are innocent. The positive manner in which the boy asserted this charmed Marcus. I thank you, my dear Bog, said he, but how do you know it? For though I am innocent, I may have some trouble in proving it. The boy drew a small folded note from his pocket, i'll explain sir said he marcus here called in his counsel, messrs overtop and maltboy and his good friend the lieutenant of police who had just arrived in the outer room in order that they might hear the explanation the boy was embarrassed by his audience but the anxious look of marcus and a few kind words from the lieutenant of police reassured him bog then proceeded to tell what he knew of the strange young man's acquaintance with miss Patty minford which was very easily told since it did not amount to much and concluded by opening the letter given to him by the young man for delivery to miss minford and handed it to marcus Marcus glanced at the writing, expecting that it would resemble that of the first anonymous letter addressed to Mr. Minford, which he drew from his pocket for comparison. But the writing was totally different in inclination, thickness, of the downward stroke, and all other respects. He read it aloud, his counsel and the lieutenant of police listening attentively. "'I don't know much about the case yet,' said the lieutenant.' but jumping at a conclusion i should say that this sneaking chap was jealous of your intimacy with the minford family that he wrote the anonymous letters to the old man in a different hand and that he either committed the murder or knows something about it his motive for annoying miss minford i can understand for this city is full of just such well-dressed scoundrels but the motive of the murder I can't comprehend. But mark me, this fellow has some knowledge of it, and we must hunt him up. And first, let us compare the letters. Marcus handed the two letters to the lieutenant, who, with overtop and malt boy, gave them a close examination. One was written on faint blue paper in a buff envelope, the other on white paper in a white envelope, Every curve, cross, and dot was minutely compared, but not the faintest resemblance between the two letters could be discovered. No more like than chalk and cheese, said the lieutenant. My theory is knocked on the head. Let me examine the envelopes again, said Overtop. They had inspected them less carefully than the contents. As soon as Overtop had placed the two envelopes side by side, his eyes lighted up with the pleasure of a great discovery. "'What fools we are!' he exclaimed. "'There it is. Don't you see? Don't you see? "'A regular Hogarthian line of beauty under the name of each?' "'All stared at the envelopes, "'and at once recognized the similarity between the graceful curved lines. "'They looked somewhat like the letter S laid on its side.' and more like the arm of a rocking-chair. Marcus had a sudden inward vision of the writer, one of those convictions which defy all logical analysis, flashed upon his mind. Do you know where this strange young man lives, Bog asked Marcus. No, sir, I followed, I should say followed, him two or three times, because I thought he wasn't acting just right toward Miss Minford here bog blushed he always went into drinking houses and billiard saloons and once into a place where they say the worst kind of gambling is allers i mean always going on but he knew me by sight and i was afraid he would ask me about that letter which i didn't deliver for him so i had to follow him a good piece behind and sometimes i lost track of him then again He would keep a tramping round from one drinking place to another, but never getting drunk that I could see, till twelve or one o'clock at night. By that time I felt I ought to go home, and so I never tracked him to his lodgings, if he has any, but it's my belief he travels in the night and sleeps in the daytime like the cats.' "'Good so far,' said Marcus you have already given us a general description of this fellow's dress and appearance. Now tell me whether his face is pale, his mustache small and curved up in points, his eyes light gray, and never looking straight at you, his nose small, thin, and sharp. And now I think of it, has he not got a small scar on one of his cheeks? "'Why, Mr. Wilkeson,' exclaimed the boy Bog. That's the very chap. Who is he? Asked the lieutenant of police, that I may have him arrested at once. He is the son. End of Book 9, Chapter 4